You will remember that I'm trying to ingrain three phrases, six words deeply into your brain, that you see them on the back side of your eyeballs, and I hope that continues, because this will be the theme that will lead us into our new year, that will lead us into the new pastor coming and support everything that we're doing, and everything will move forward famously if we remember to love God, to love people, and to serve both. This is the essence of our calling before the Lord. And so we've been looking at that and digging into what that means. Loving God, we, we, we traced it in the scriptures, how we do that. Specifically, it came great measure in abiding in him, living in him, spending time with him, understanding he is in us and we're in him. And all that Paul meant when he used that phrase, being in Christ. But not only is he in us and us in him, he calls us to grow in that love relationship by digging in deep into his word. And so he tells us to abide in his word. And as we do abide in his word, then we demonstrate that we are genuinely Christ followers. We're genuinely his disciples. And then out of that abiding relationship with God, out of the abiding in his word, then we get to pray in faith. We pray in truth. We pray with what we have learned and experienced about God, about ourselves, about the world around us. And this forms this uh, vertical dimension of the cross. And then we move from the loving God to loving people. That's the horizontal dimension of the cross. What does that look like? How do we do that? And so last week we were introduced to Jesus' words where he said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And in the original language it says this, in the exact same measure in which, at the same way as, I have loved you. There's the measuring rod. We're to love one another in the exact same way that Jesus loved us, the church. And then he goes on to say, by this, the whole world will know that you are my disciples, you are Christ's followers, when they see you loving one another. So this morning, what, what I, I felt led to do was, again, ask, what does that look like? How do I put that on uh, as a coat? How do I wear that as a lifestyle? And so for me, the two words that are repeated three times in this passage give us the groundwork of how to find that out. Did you notice that phrase, one another, is used three different times? It's like Jesus was really trying to hammer this in good and hard. That this, this call to love as I have loved you begins in the family of God. It begins in the church. And as the church, God's people who love one another are busy fulfilling that calling and request. Then the lost world is looking in and saying, I got to have some of that. This is the kind of, of family I want. This is the kind of community I want. This is the kind of impact I want to make on this world. And so evangelism starts, listen to me, evangelism, winning the lost to Christ, starts with us loving one another. And where does that love come from? Out of our love relationship that's growing with Jesus Christ. It all flows from the abiding, and it flows into his word and up in prayer, but it also flows outward, beginning with our love for one another. So if you take those two words, one another, and did a Bible search on those, you'll find, especially in the New Testament, but all throughout the Bible, there's so many verses that focus on one another, how we are to act towards one another. 
And depending on the translation you're using or whatever, you'll find anywhere from 35 to 65 different one another passages in your Bible. Now, now I operate out of the theory that if we love one another and we practice it by the examples of one another that's given in the Bible, then we're going to fulfill the how-to of fellowship, the how-to of living out God's command in John 13, 34, 35. And so what I've asked Roy to do is in your bulletin, if you picked up one of the bulletins, look at that for a moment, and you'll find there a list. It's not probably an exhaustive list. Like I said, some translations would give us as many as 65. But there's a list of some of the one another's. That's in your Bible with the references there. Depend on one another. Be devoted to one another. Wash one another's feet. Rejoice with one another, weep with one another, live in harmony with one another. You see, read down that list. Well, I put that there because I wanted you to have something to take home with you as a Bible study. I want you to go over that this week, and I want you to pick one every day, at least one every day. How can I personally do this? And I want you to pick one for your family. If it's a family of one, family of two, family of ten, doesn't matter. Pick one for your family. How can we practice this in our family? When you go to your Bible study groups in, in just a few moments, I challenge you to talk in your Bible study groups. How can we choose one of these and practice this in our Bible study group to this week? And each day, choose a different one another and say, Lord, show me how to do this. If you will work through this list, I guarantee you by the time you get to the end of it, you're going to be doing it over and over again. You're going to have the smell of Christ all over you. Because his love is going to be absolutely coming out through the pores in your skin. Now, I think the one another's explain the great one another. Let me say that again. I think all these 35 to 65 individual one another's explain the great one another, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, that you love one another. And by this shall all men know you're my disciples, if you have loved one for another. Now, I believe that so much that as I look at these one another passages, look at them. It seems like in almost every situation, you have an action verb followed by a one another. Look at them. You see what I'm talking about there? Depend on one another. Okay, that's, that's an action. You do that to a one another. Weep with one another. You, you, you do that. So you got an action, a practical thing you do. An action with the focus on it being within the body of Christ, the one another. You see that? So, if we can best understand how to do John 13, 34 by reading the other one another's, then I think we can probably even substitute some of these actions for the word love in John 13, 34, 35. The, the, the last one on the list right here is comfort one another. Let's see if we can do that. Let's interject that into John 13, 34, 35. It would sound, sound like this. It would say, comfort one another. As I have comforted you, has Jesus comforted you? As I have comforted you, you comfort one another. And by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you comfort one another. Does that make sense? Does that, does that work in the sentence? Is it true? I mean, do we find other scriptures to, to confirm that? Yes. 
the God of all comfort, who comforts us all in our tribulation, that we may be able then to comfort others if they have any trouble with the comfort in which we ourselves have been comforted from 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4. So as we comfort one another, we're fulfilling the command of John 13, 34, 35. And, and what we're doing is the, the love that is in our heart for the Lord Jesus then begins to permeate and spread out to those that we're comforting. Let's take another one to see if it works. Let's look at forgive one another. Can we insert forgiving where love is in John 13, 34, 35? Let's try it out. Forgive one another as I have forgiven you, so you must forgive one another. And by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you forgive one another. Does that work? Does that, does that make sense in that sentence? Is it true? Do we have scriptural basis that indeed this is, is truth? Well, in Colossians 3.13, it says, yes, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. And we can never forget what Jesus said from the cross. As recorded in Mark 15.39, Father, I forgive them. They know not what they do. So as we forgive one another, we're demonstrating, we're, we're fleshing out this command to love one another. You go through on your own. We're almost without exception. When you go down this list, you'll find that that action that you're to take, focusing on one another, as you do that, you're demonstrating the love of Jesus Christ. I encourage you, make that an assignment for you this week. So as you go about looking for, for how to do ministry or, or how to be engaged in the life of the church or, or how to practice what God is calling you to do in fellowshipping with believers and loving on one another, here's a how-to. Here's your list. You, you, you take your few weeks and you earnestly do these. And then I think you're going to be in a good position to talk with me about what it means to fellowship with believers, to be a part of the body of Christ, to need one another, so let me true. I want to share with you three things that, that foundational principles of these one another's that I'm going to encourage you to understand and apply. The first one is this. God is the source for all of the one another's. He's the source. Listen to the scriptures from 1 John 4, 7 through 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And again, in, in chapter 4 and verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. James would write in James 1.17, every good and perfect gift flows down from, the, from above because God is the giver of gifts. All right, so what are, what are we seeing right here? God is the source of all the one another's. Now, now hear me. The one another's are, are hard, if not difficult, if you try to do them in your own strength. All right, can I demonstrate that for you? God says, forgive one another. But Brother Fred, you don't know what that person did to me. You don't know how deeply they hurt me. You don't know how that has scarred me for all of my life. And I have carried the ramifications of that all of my life. I can't do that. And you know what I have to say? Amen. No, you can't. 
This is not something that you can, you can't do all of these one another's in your own guts, in your own strength and fortitude. But when we're abiding in Christ and he's abiding in us, and that love relationship is growing, and we're anchored in his word, and we're praying the truth we're learning, then who God is begins to permeate out of us. And it is within his strength. He is the source. He is the means by which we can reach out and forgiveness to someone. They don't deserve it. Hey, they don't, might not even want it. But we can do it because the source of that forgiveness lives within us, and we have already received his forgiveness that we didn't deserve, and maybe until you came to faith in Christ, you never asked for. You see? This is it. God is the source of all of these one another's. This is, is what we do because of who we are. This is how we act because this is who Christ is making us to be like him. So he wants to perform his one another's through us. Comforting one another, encouraging one another, whatever the one another is, God in Christ wants to do that, hang on tight, through you. Without exception. Without exception. This is his desire and his goal. So we're abiding in him. His words are abiding in us. We're praying in truth. And then how we reach out and love one another is determined here by these one another's and God doing it through us. Second thing I want you to see about this is God really has two channels where that he distributes his grace and his mercy. Himself and us. John writes in 1 John 4.11, he says, since God has loved us, we ought also to love one another. So God is the source of all goodness and, and such. And here's what he's done. The Bible tells us that in Jesus Christ, all the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in bodily form. What's that mean? Everything that is God about God was scrunched into the person of Jesus Christ. He was the embodiment of God. He was God. But then here in God's great economy, what does he do? He takes Jesus Christ and he puts him in gym bass. All of Jesus Christ in Jim Bass. And now he does that so Jim can be the possession of God. So he can have all the blessings God's got to have. No. Because he wants to use Jim Bass as a conduit, a means to flow every aspect of who Christ is to a world that surrounds Jim. That's true for Conrad. That's true for Janet. Each and every one of us, without exception. God has poured himself into you. And every grace and every mercy and every goodness that is God abides in you. And the one another's are the conduits through which all of those graces and all of that mercy flows out. This is, is amazing. So, now, sometimes God chooses to meet needs himself. 
He, he, does, that, he does that wonderfully. Uh, Paul, Paul says that there was a point in his trial that no man stood with me. But then he says, but God was with me. So nobody was there to comfort him. Nobody was there to encourage him. Nobody was there to corroborate his word. But God himself stood by him. So sometimes God does that himself. But many times, might I say even the most of the times, when God wants to practice one of these one another's to his children, he calls us to do it. And he embodies us for that grace or mercy, whatever it is. And there's a reason for that. You and I, yes, we respond to God's presence, but we really respond to people. I remember a story about a little boy that was afraid of the dark. He didn't like to go to sleep in a dark room. And uh, so, so he, he would cry out to his mom or dad, you know, can, can, can you come into my room till I go to sleep or can I come into your bed or whatever? And, and they would say, no, no, you got to learn how to sleep by yourself. And, and then daddy said one day, don't worry about it. God is with you. And the little boy says, I know God is with me. But I'd like to have somebody that has skin on them. You know, we react good when God is there with skin on him. And what does God look like when he has skin on him? Right here. That's what God looks like with skin on him. Us. Doing the one another. So, so in, 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 as God distributes his graces and his mercy and his love and his comfort and his forgiveness, he does that through us. King David is an example. When he needed to be confronted, he's Nathan. God sent Nathan. When he needed to be encouraged, God sent Jonathan. When he needed support, God sent the priest to Himelech. When he needed comfort, he sent David's friends. That's the way he still works. That's the way it still works. God knows that often we need to be ministered to somebody with skin on them. So when we're sitting in there in our loneliness, when we're hurting so very bad, when we're so disillusioned, when we're scared as we can be, God is going to be there. But he likes to use somebody with skin on them to come manifest his presence in their lives as well. Third reality is this, in God's unique economy, he has his own way of ministering to his people. There's an ancient Jewish fable that a rabbi tells, and it's a story, it's a fable. But this man that was really growing in his knowledge of God, he came to the rabbi one day and he said, can you show me heaven and hell? I'd like to see what heaven and hell is like. And so the rabbi prayed and said yes. So he took him in a vision. And he saw a group of people sitting in a room. And in the middle was a big pot of beautiful stew. Oh, it was smelling so scrumptious. Everybody, oh, mm, make you hungry just to think about it. And every person in the room had attached to their arm a spoon. I mean, it was attached to their arm. It was part of their arm. But the spoon was about four foot long. And they could dip it into the stew that smelled so good, but they couldn't turn around and get it in their mouth because the spoon was too long. And the rabbi said, brother, this is hell. Everything that they need, but they can't get the spoon in their mouth. 
And then he took him into yet another room. There was a similar group of people in another big pot of stew. Everybody had the long spoons in their hand. And the rabbi said, my son, this is heaven. What was different? Everybody in the room took a spoon and got a spoonful of stew and put it in the mouth of somebody beside him. And everybody was fed and everybody was happy because everybody learned how they needed one another. And life could not be lived alone. You were not designed to live alone. You were designed to live in the unity and the community of the body of Christ. And here we feed one another. Here we encourage one another. What do we? Oh, we do these to one another. And this is God's economy for distributing to the needs of the saints. We need one another. So, what are some of the venues that we can practice these one another's? I want to suggest a couple of things with you. We do them when we're here on a Sunday morning. You know, you know what I love about Sunday morning? Uh, before we actually start our, our time of, uh, of worship, you know, it's, it's, not about, uh, it's not about the music or the, or the pre-announcements or all the kinds of... You know what I love? I love the constant hum over this place. When y'all are talking to one another, visiting with one another, going shaking hands, loving one another, caring for one another. Sometimes you have to sit down and cry with one another. That's more precious than pre-ceremony music. <laughs> That's more precious than anything else that we do. Because we're practicing one another's. We're greeting one another, loving one another, comforting one another, encouraging one another. So this is a great place to do that. But, but let me suggest another place. I, I suggest that at home is a great place to practice to one another's. It's a great place. You know, uh, in your home, if there's a home of one, home of two, home of three, home of ten, doesn't matter. Sit down today over lunch. And together as a family, pick one of the one another's. And say, now, let's practice this in our home today. And tomorrow we'll practice another one. And each day, choose you one in your home. And you with your children or your grandchildren or your spouse, practice the one another. If you're by yourself, you can still practice the one another's. You can make a visit or make a telephone call. You can send an email or a text. Practice the one another's in the family. Let me encourage you to do it in your small group Bible studies. We leave out here after worship, we'll go into our small group Bible studies. That's a tremendous place to choose them and use them. And then in the ministries of this church, oh, there's so many things, so many things that we get to do. Uh, touching lives through Feed the Hungry, people who are in need and, 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 and need encouragement. Boy, uh, last Sunday night, those hundred volunteers, and I think there were more than that, those hundred volunteers, we had a blast. Loving on people, loving on children. You know, you, you learn to love children, you're going to get the parents and the grandparents. Because you, people simply adore those who adore their children. It's just the way it works. So whatever that you, we can do it here. I would love to make two requirements. If I could, if I was going to be pastor here for another 10 years, I'd make two requirements and I'd make them stick. <laughs> The first requirement is without exception, every person needs to be involved in some small group Bible study. 
I mean, I'd see if we couldn't get a safety team or a policeman on campus and not let you out until you'd been to a Bible study group. It's that important. This is something that you miss because this is one of the great places you do fellowship. And it may not be on Sunday morning. We have some on Wednesday night. We have some on Tuesdays. We have some on Thursday. We have them all during the week. Different groups meeting, different topics, different whatever. I would require that. Second thing I would do is that every person as a member of this church must be involved in a ministry of this church. Have to be. No exception. Because you know, let me tell you something. You grow in your love for one another when you sweat side by side. When you struggle to build something or when you struggle to minister a group of people, when, when, you, when you sit with those who are hurting or whatever the case may be, when you do this along with a brother or sister in Christ, there is a togetherness that grows there that is so incredible. Because we're doing something for kingdom purposes together. And that camaraderie is tremendous. It, you ask people that have, have gotten engaged in one of our ministries, whatever it is. You know, they'd sooner miss a meal than miss being a part of that. Uh, our core group that is engaged in Feed the Hungry, they just had a great Saturday with that. You know, honestly... Kristen has had to send people home. Not because they were too many. They were too sick to be there. We've had folks that are just getting over heart attacks show up to feed the hungry. They would not miss it. I know the doctor told you to be in bed. I'm going to be here. Now, we've had to send them home. <laughs> anyway, but listen. When you begin engaged in a ministry within our church family, there is a fellowship that grows there that is just a bond that is so incredibly powerful. So I would require each and every member, as soon as you've been a member, go through the new members class, that you either choose or get assigned to a ministry. It's that important. Of course, I'm not going to be your pastor after the end of the year, so I can't do that. But I sure would leave that as a parting thought for the next man that comes in. So... One of the most precious one another's is worshiping one another. Worshiping with one another is powerful. And one element of worship that we get to do together that is so precious and binding is sharing communion together, sharing the Lord's Supper together. So I'm going to ask our, our deacons if you'll be coming and getting in position. But while they're coming, let me ask your attention, please carefully. Only believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, only those who have followed the Lord in baptism, should partake of the Lord's Supper. I'm not being mean, that's just right out of the scriptures, okay? So you don't have to be a member of this church, but you have to be a member of the kingdom of God. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, in a few moments I want you to receive the elements and enjoy taking communion here with us. Uh, just, just I want you to govern yourselves right there. Now, I'll tell you a little something about this. Uh, this is a little different. You're going to find something that is kind of like an hourglass. This is different from what you had before. You know, difference is weird. And I don't want you as a, like a sheep looking at a new gate right here. Let me explain this one to you, okay? The juice is in the bottom. Let's start at the other end, okay? 
So when I tell you to, you'll peel off the top little piece, and right inside there is the wafer, the bread. After we've partaken that, then you get to turn it over, and when I tell you to, you take the top off, and you drink from the other side, okay? Now, I, I, I know, Fred, you think you're acting like we're children. I know this because my deacons and I have practiced with this, and we've made all the mistakes already, okay? So you'll receive one of those in just a minute. Will you pray with me? Father, we come to the holy place, the holy table of grace, to sit together, but to sit with you. You are the master of this feast. We love you with all our heart. And in this moment, I pray that not only you'll bind us more tightly to you, but that you'll bind us more tightly to one another. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.